Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org forward slash OC. This morning, I want to share something with you. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. If you weren't with us, um, we've been looking at the life of Saul, who for me has got to be the most confronting example of leadership um, in the Bible. Definitely the most sobering account um, that I can find. Last week, we looked at 1 Samuel chapter 15. And uh, in that passage, it was Saul's um, monumental collapse, so to speak. It was the moment, really, that Saul made um, a big error. And it wasn't his first, but it was certainly the largest. We looked at not only what had happened, but we looked at the prophet Samuel, his proverbial wisdom and correction to the King Saul when he says obedience is better than sacrifice. Really the message last week, the heart was that God doesn't just want our words. He doesn't simply want our church attendance. God doesn't want our religious pageantry. God wants our unconditional obedience. Because I've learned that obedience is the sacrifice of our will. And it's laying ourselves down at the feet of Jesus and really following his example. Obedience is the result of a deep trust that God knows better than I do. And because of that conviction, we're called to follow Jesus's example in laying even down our very lives to the wisdom and will of God, our Father. So if you hadn't caught that, um, it was kind of the precursor to today. I want to invite you this week to check that out by way of YouTube or our podcast um, the idea was that there's something better than sacrifice. Today, I want to take us to the next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 16, and um, read, I think, just what happens one chapter later from the life of this guy, Saul. And I'll just say this by way of introduction. I've been in ministry now almost a decade, a little over a decade, actually, and one of the things that's unfortunate to watch is as long as sort of I've been at this, I've watched people who um, we've, we've counseled, people that we've led with, people that we've been friends with, even friends that we've served and led alongside. And though they may have started with a passion, many of them even starting with a calling to serve in church or to uh, even attend Bible college or entering into full-time ministry, I've watched as many of the people in my life have started strong but end up burning out and walking away from God. So how many know it's not just how you start that matters, it's how you finish. See, the thing is, I've just learned, anybody can eat right on January 1st. I wanna know what, what do things look like at the end of September? I've learned that anybody can start a new job with hope and honor and excitement, but how you end that job says a lot ending with bitterness and resentment and frustration. It's not just how you start, it's how you finish. Anybody can enter into a marriage, but I wanna know, how do you stay married for 50 years? That's really, I think, the heart of, of what I wanna talk to you about today because I don't, I don't just wanna have you know, the right intention or the right goal. Those, those things are important, but I'm gonna need something more to sustain me for the long term. Need something a little bit more than just the right intention or a good goal. We've all seen the effects of that at New Year's resolutions and so many examples in our lives. I was reading this week of the very first event that happened at the first Olympic Games in ancient Greece. They say it was a relay race. We know it today as the opening ceremony with all its pomp and circumstance. 
But they, they say the very first event in the Olympic Games was, a, was similar to a four by four relay, but instead of carrying a baton, they would ran, run with a torch in their hand. That's where we even get the idea of a, an Olympic torch with a flame, but it was a real torch. And they would say that the objective of that first relay race wasn't simply to finish the fastest, but to see who could finish with their flame still burning. And I thought, man, that's how I wanna finish. I want to, at the end of my life, I want to finish with my fire still lit, with my flame still burning. I want to know that at the very end of this thing, there's still a passion within me. There's still the same zeal that I started this journey with that I have at the very end of my life. That's what I want to talk to you about, because that's where I think things went so wrong with Saul. If you can open your Bibles with me, 1 Samuel chapter 16, I want to read to you um, just two verses, but by way of context, I'll read how the last chapter ends. The very last verse in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 35 says this, and Samuel the prophet did not see Saul the king again until the day of his death. And Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord had regretted that he made Saul the king over Israel. And chapter 16, verse one starts like this. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? It's not my message today, but I want to tell you today that God's rejection is always for your protection. Always. When God removes something from your life, it's always because he has something better in mind. It's what happens here in this story. It says, the word of the Lord came to Samuel and he said, fill your horn with oil and go. And I will send to you Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Saul was chosen by the prophet Samuel. This time, God says, I'm going to choose my own king. Verse 13, skipping down for the sake of time, and because this is really the part of scripture I want to get to today, the Bible says this, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that's David, in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Verse 14 says, for the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. This morning, I wanna to talk to you from this title and I'll explain what I mean in a moment. I wanna to talk to you about the Saul syndrome. The Saul syndrome. And by way of context, this moment here between verse 13 and verse 14, what happens is in short, the spirit descends upon the new King David and the spirit departs from Saul. In my Bible, there's a space actually between these verses, actually a break between where a new section begins. And it's actually that space that, that speaks so loudly to me. Because when we read the Bible, we can think that this just happens in a matter of moments. But there's actually so much that happens between those two verses. Theologians would believe that because the book of 1 Samuel is laid out thematically and not chronologically, that the space between verse 13 and verse 14, all of chapters 15 and chapter 17 are sandwiched between those two verses. You say, why is that significant? First Samuel chapter 15 is Saul's profound disobedience to God. And first Samuel chapter 17 is the story of David and Goliath. And this contrast between really what happens in these two moments is a crucial transition between the kingship of Saul and the kingship of David. And it is that contrast that gives me the, the foundation for the message that I'm preaching to you today. 
The contrast that the Bible would underline for us is not simply because of their actions. It's not simply because of their ability or their intentions. The contrast between these two men is the presence of the Holy Spirit. David, who the Bible said knew the presence of the Holy Spirit and Saul who had to live in his dreadful absence. And I think there is a dilemma for all of us. There is a temptation that we face in the Christian life. And the diagnosis that I want to give today is called the Saul syndrome. Here's what I mean. The Saul syndrome is this. It's trying to do the things of God without the presence of God. The Saul syndrome is a temptation for all of us. It's, it's I think, how a good man ends so bad, trying to do the work of God without the person of God himself. 1 Samuel chapter 10 is the moment that Saul is anointed. The Bible says that he is anointed, the favor of God falls upon him, the blessing of God falls upon him, the spirit of the Lord is with Saul. And in the same chapter, Saul is found not operating in the presence of God, but hiding from people in a storeroom. And the story that would happen is Saul would continue his life. 1 Samuel chapter 13, the Bible says that that, that Samuel told Saul from God to wait for seven days. And when Samuel shows up, he asks Saul this question. He says, what have you done? Why? Because Saul said, I'm tired of waiting on God. I need to take things into my own hands. And he began to offer a sacrifice that wasn't his to offer saying, I'm tired of waiting on God and it doesn't seem like anything is happening, so I'm just gonna do it by myself. It's, it's the Saul syndrome. It happens again in 1 Samuel chapter 14. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, it was the passage we read about last week where Saul begins to operate and he, he, he so ignores the voice of God and obeys God, but only on his own terms, that the spirit departs from Saul. And what happens in Saul's life is through the course, though it may only be a little bit off, over disobedience after disobedience and year after year and one careless decision to the next, what started as maybe one degree off over time leads him very far from the presence of God. And there's this moment where I'm asking myself, I'm saying, you started so strong. You had the presence of God. What went wrong? And I think that this is really, though it may not be the definite end for Saul, it was the beginning of the end. From this moment, years would happen after the life of Saul, where at the very end of his life, he would be found in a witch's cave, seeking counsel, full of fear and torment, and and living his life in such failure that he ends up falling on his own sword. And while this wasn't the physical end for Saul. I do think it was the beginning of the end for him. Now, don't miss this. Outwardly, Saul was still the king. But from God's perspective in this moment, things were radically different. Now, I don't know who I heard this from, but it just convicted me this week. They said this, God is the only employer who will fire you, but let you keep your job. That's what happens in this story. From the moment that David is anointed and the spirit departs from Saul, it wouldn't be, 20 years would go by before David is actually appointed as king, which tells me this, that Saul keeps his job as king for 20 unanointed years. Thinking to myself, that's such a scary place to be, to try and operate in my own authority to try and do the things that God has asked me to, but in my own ability to try and hold it all together myself or worse, to not even have the discernment that God's spirit has left. 
to not even have the discernment in my life to think that I can carry on without the Spirit of God. I think of what A.W. Tozer said. He said that if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of us wouldn't know, wouldn't, he says this, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. I don't want my life to be like that. To not even know the difference between my own ability and the spirit of God. I think of even what happens in Zechariah chapter four, where they're rebuilding the temple and the, the prophet Zechariah comes to Zerubbabel and says, this is how the temple will be built. Not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit. Hear me, friend. This isn't just the way that the temple was built. This is the way that your life should be built. Not by your own strength not by your own ability, not by power or trying to hold it all together, but by the spirit of God. And I have to believe Saul for too long was only operating in his own power and might, not even knowing that he had lived a life accommodating without the spirit of God. And this is the diagnosis where things went so wrong. And I thought to myself, all of us need to be reminded of this. Even myself, as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, to think that there is this temptation that we can so easily slip into the Saul syndrome and try and live for God without God. Be encouraged to know our staff even has to begin this. Every Tuesday, we begin our week with a time of prayer. Why? Because we recognize we can't do this by ourselves. We need the Spirit of God. And I think there's this temptation for every believer to think so often we can trust in God for salvation, but then we think we're going to live life on our own terms and on our own ability for every day after. It's Saul syndrome. I want, I want to just say it as simple as I can today. I hope maybe you've caught on to my drift, but let me just say this. There is no replacement for the Holy Spirit. There's no alternative there's no other option. There is no replacement for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our authority and our ability. And he is the only way we are called to live in the fullness of life that God has promised to us. Let me just say this. You can't live the life that God has designed for you apart from the Holy Spirit. It's a non-negotiable. There's no replacement for this. I just want to give you a few thoughts today about the Holy Spirit on this Holy Ghost Sunday. Here's the first thing you can write down. I can have intimacy with the Holy Spirit. How to not develop Saul syndrome. I can have intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me spend a few moments just to teach something because depending on how you grew up or your church background, I think when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, things can really go awry for a lot of people. And I want to make sure that our theology isn't just something that is assumed, but actually something that is understood. To get us all on the same page here, and I'll just say this, there is only one true and living God. Amen. And in a culture that is increasingly confused on this issue, I want to say this, our God is not one among many. He is not just the Christian version. He's not just the Western version. He is the only true God and the only God who is alive. Jesus said... I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and nobody comes to the Father apart from me. Amen. It's only one God that's true and only one God, that God that's alive. His name is Jesus. And here's this, that the Holy, that the God exists eternally in three persons. So while there is only one God, God exists as God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. 
And while they are equal, they are different. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are the same, but they are different. The Father sends the Son, and the Son gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals to us Jesus, and he empowers us to live as the Father has designed. And they are the same, and they are equally God, but they are different. And I think many of us here today would be all good with God the Father. Maybe you're the kind of person that prays Daddy God prayers. Maybe I think all of us would be comfortable with Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. But the Holy Spirit, this is where things can kind of be confusing, I think. Or, or many times we, 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 we make the mistake of referring to the Holy Spirit as in an impersonal way. I just want to say this. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not the force. He is not a vibe. I just, I love the vibe at Free Chapel. Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person and he is just as much God as Jesus is. He's not junior Jesus. He is fully God. And we are called to have intimacy and fellowship with the person of the Holy Spirit. Even the very word for spirit in the Bible speaks to this idea. The word for spirit in the Bible, the, the, the Hebrew word is ruach and the Greek word is pneuma. It literally means breath. There at the very beginning of creation, the Bible says that the spirit or the breath of God hovered over the waters. It's not an accident that God created the world by speaking. It was the breath. It was his Holy Spirit beginning to do that. And the very breath, I think what the Bible would teach to us is that the Holy Spirit is the very life and the breath of the believer. And just like oxygen, he is essential to the life that God has designed for you. Just like oxygen, to live apart from the Holy Spirit is really, I think, to try and live without oxygen. One of two things will happen. Either I will end up dead or taken out. And I don't want to take my chances on either. We need the Holy Spirit. But even deeper, it's not just that he's essential like oxygen, but also like oxygen. It's not helpful just to read about. He has to be experienced. The Holy Spirit is as essential to us as oxygen is. The Spirit of God was present at creation. It's the same Spirit working all throughout the Bible. The Spirit of God is here even in this Old Testament passage. The Spirit of God is present. He descended upon Jesus at his baptism. It was the Holy Spirit that was promised and poured out upon the early church at Pentecost. And the same is true for us today. I'm telling you today, we need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. We could try and take a whole year to explain this by way of series, but here's my invitation to you today. Let's just take the Bible at its word. I'm not sure what you've been told. I'm not sure what kind of church that you've been a part of before this. The Holy Spirit did not cease to exist. The Holy Spirit did not cease to work or to act. He's still moving. He's still speaking. He's still performing miracles. He's still alive and active in the church today. He didn't stop when this book was be finished being written. Jesus promised to us, we will see even greater things than he did. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And my invitation for us is just to simply take the Bible at its word today that the Holy Spirit is still working. And the, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is a normative part of the Christian life. 
And I just believe there is no way to live the life that God has designed for me apart from the Holy Spirit. To do so would be the Saul syndrome. Can have intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Here's the second thing. I can have the authority of the Holy Spirit. Here in this passage, just two verses, this is, this is the trade that happens. What happens is David, he gains what Saul lost. And the older I get, I found the more, the more serious I get about this. In a world that is increasingly falling apart, the church today desperately needs another Pentecost. We need a baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need a filling of the Holy Spirit. We can't try and do this to try and sustain it ourselves in our own ability or in our own authority. Really, to try and do that would be the same warning that Paul said to Timothy. He said, in the very last days, beware, there will be people that will have the appearance of godliness, but will deny its power. To try and think that I can, I can look the part, but I can lack the power. Remember a few years ago, we went with our cousins to Disneyland, and I just have a confession. I don't like Disney. If you're like one of the Disney people, let me just, here, email me this week. I can give you a thousand other ways to have fun. I'm standing in line all day. I don't like Disney. Here's what I, it's fun sometimes to see the little kids, how they react. So we were with our cousins and they were just loving the whole Disney. They were like pumped about seeing Mickey, like Mickey, and seeing the princesses. It's funny, they're two little boys. They were getting all bashful around the princesses. The part that they loved the most was seeing Captain America. Ooh, they were pumped about Captain America. And you know what? They were, they were like all with Captain America taking the photos and they wanted to see his shield. And they were like, can you fly? Can you? And you know what? This is, I, I made eye contact with Captain America. <laughs> I just want you to know, I let him know that I knew what was going on. <laughs> I said, I see you, bro. You're not Captain America. It's a silly example. I think it's, what am I saying to you today is that you can, you can look the part, but you can not have the power. Our world will be doing this tomorrow, people simply dressing up. But let this not be a picture of our churches, simply living in costume Christianity. We desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because without the presence, it's just performance. It's just performance to think, oh, I can do this life my own way. It's looking the part, but it's lacking the very power. It's Saul syndrome. And that's why this is such a sharp contrast between the life of Saul and David, because the Bible even says that Saul was chosen because he looked the part. He looked like a king. And Samuel said, that's my guy. But the, you know what the Bible says about David? It says that he was the exact opposite. He was the most unlikely choice to be king. He, he was forgotten about by the prophet, forgotten about by his brothers, forgotten about by his own dad in the choice to be king. But God says, I see him and that's my guy. The Bible says this about David. The Bible says that while man looks to the outward appearance, God looks to the heart. Let me just encourage somebody here today. You may feel left out. You may feel forgotten. You may feel like God has forgotten about you. Let me just tell you today, God knows your address. He knows what you're going through. He knows how to get a hold of you. Even David, who was alone on the side of a mountain, surrounded by nothing but sheep, God says, I see that heart, and that's a heart that I can pour out my spirit upon. It's worth repeating the old adage today that God doesn't call the qualified, 
he qualifies the called. You say, how does he do this? It's this moment that God will call us. It's what we've prayed over our college students from the very beginning of starting this thing, that there would be a moment where they hear the voice of God and that they are ruined for the gospel. It's what I pray over our students. It's what I pray over my kids. They would be ruined, that there was nothing else in this world that can satisfy but the call of God upon their life. And God will call us and I just, it ruins us for the best, but he doesn't stop there. That from the call of God, he will qualify us for that calling. How does he do this? By the Holy Spirit. That he will qualify us by the filling of the Holy Spirit. God didn't choose David simply because of his ability or his talent. It was the contrary. God chose David because of his heart to honor him. In fact, more than any other person in the Bible, aside from Jesus, David's life gets the most attention. And you think about the power of this. That God, David has lived a life of legacy knowing that he was a man after God's own heart. He had heard the call of God and God qualified him by the pouring out in this verse of the Holy Spirit. David literally would go from a forgotten farmhand to a king, to a giant killer in a few chapters. You say, what's the difference? What's, how does this happen? It wasn't simply more responsibility given to David. That's the difference that the Holy Spirit can make. And David Knowing this, probably learning the lesson from Saul, seeing what happened in his own life from the very beginning of his calling all the way through to the very end, David writes in Psalm chapter 51, he says, don't take your presence from me. I desperately need your Holy Spirit. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And that's my, power, that's my prayer this morning, that we don't go on without the power of the Holy Spirit, that we don't lose the fire, but keep a passion for God's presence, that we would be a people marked by the presence of God. That we would know as a church that there is simply no replacement for my life, that I can't go on without the power of the Holy Spirit. To try and do otherwise is like, it would, it would, it would only leave me either taken out or dead. I need the authority of the Holy Spirit. And the last thing I'll have you write down is this, that I can have the ability of the Holy Spirit. I can have the ability of the Holy Spirit. What do you do when you don't know what to do? How do you move forward when the future seems unclear? You think, how can God use me? How do I know what God is asking me to do? There is only one answer, friends. It is to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. I was reading a story this week of a phenomenon that took place a few years ago on the top of Mount Fuji in Japan. There in the dead of winter, they said that they had observed that there were small groves of trees beginning to bloom and to bear fruit, even in the midst of the harshest of winter. What they would see is that everything around them was covered in snow and ice and frozen over. But there, there was a small grove of trees that began to blossom and even bear fruit. And so they sent geologists up the mountain. Here's what they said. They said that the roots of these trees had actually grown underneath the winter surface and they were touching volcanic activity. Even though it was snowing on top, they were touching fire beneath. I couldn't help but think about Acts 2 in the early church when the Holy Spirit descended. I couldn't help but think about my life, that even when everything around me seems cold and dead and lifeless, these roots know how to go down and touch fire. It's the ability of God. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. There is a, there is a fire that God can ignite that nothing can extinguish. 
There's a fire that God can ignite, a passion from within me, and I'm thinking that's how I want my life to be, characterized by the presence of God. I don't want to live a life that I can understand. I don't want to live a life that I can simply explain away or chalk up to my own ability. I desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit. I thought, what a picture of the kind of life that I want to live. That's the difference the Holy Spirit can make. It doesn't matter what's going around on the outside. Well, all this crazy stuff in our world, these roots know how to touch the fire of God. Know what it is to have the power and the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. I'll hear people say to me all the time, they, they, they'll tell, you know, as advice, and they're well-meaning people. I'm not coming at anybody. To, I'm not mad at you. They'll say, God will never give you more than you can handle. You know what I want to tell them? I'm thinking, of course he will. That's exactly what God wants to do. God definitely wants to give you way more than you could handle. He wants you to go way beyond your ability because if you could handle it, why would you need God? I'll just say it to you this way. God will never give you a life where he is unnecessary. Never will he give us a life that we think, oh, I can just do this in my own strength or my own ability. That's not what God has called us to. You think, oh, the things that God is asking me to do is hard. It's not hard. It should be impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the life that God is calling to us. First Corinthians chapter four, it says the kingdom of God is not simply a lot of talk. The kingdom of God is living by God's power. It's true for every Christian. How do I, how do I know what God, or what, what is God asking me to do? The Christian life should be a powerful life. Said another way, a powerless Christian could be debated if they have experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit at all. We're called to live by God's power. And think about this. I challenge myself this week. Every person in this book that God has used, do you know what God did? He sent them into difficulty, adversity, and impossibility. Every time God sends his people into impossibility and adversity, but he doesn't send us alone. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to say that's the kind of life that I want to live. I want to live by God's power. I don't want to just do the whole thing of trying to just perform. I need the presence of God. You think of the difference that this could make for, for Saul or for David, saying, God, please don't take your spirit from me. Because without his presence, we just fall into performance. I want to live a life marked by the Holy Spirit. I want to be a person of his presence with an authority and an ability that's way beyond what I can understand, way beyond what I can try and explain away. And I need his presence, not just here on a Sunday morning, I need his presence tomorrow on my commute. I need his presence in my office place on a Wednesday. I need his presence with my family on Thursday, or with my kids on Saturday. Every moment of my life, I, I need the ability, the enabling, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I'll close with this. This week I was studying and I saw something I had never really seen before. When the Holy Spirit began to descend upon those early disciples in Acts chapter 2, the church was born. I saw something I'd never seen. Jesus, after 
After his crucifixion and resurrection, he appears to his disciples. The book of John says that he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Some of you see the imagery at work in John's gospel. The account of Matthew would say that Jesus gathers his disciples up together and he gives them what we call the Great Commission. He says, go into all the world and make disciples, preaching and teaching all that I have taught you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is what I never saw. Jesus, he wasn't giving them a new task. They were already doing that. All through the Gospels, they're with Jesus, preaching and teaching. The Bible says that he sent out his disciples to heal the sick, sent out his disciples to, 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 to cast out demons and to preach and to baptize people. Jesus, he commissions them, but he tells them, don't move until you have received the Holy Spirit. And this is the part that I thought this, they were already doing this alongside Jesus, but Jesus in his wisdom says, I'm not, I'm where I am calling you is well beyond your experience. Where I'm calling you, your training won't hold you. Even good intentions won't hold you. This is what I love. This, this challenge is for all of us. It's for pastors. It's for church leaders. It's for small group leaders and, and worship team. It's for college students, business leaders. It's the same challenge for all of us. It doesn't matter how long you've been to church or how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter even where you've previously been successful. It's the same warning. Don't slip into the Saul syndrome. Don't think for a moment that you can do this apart from the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit again. It's a continual filling. God, I need your Holy Spirit more today than I did yesterday. I need your Holy Spirit afresh for this week because I don't want to do it in my own authority. I don't want to do it in my own ability. And in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit falls upon the group of disciples. And this is the difference the Spirit of God can make. A group of teenage fishermen became apostles and martyrs at the ends of the earth because of the Holy Spirit. Think of the life of Peter. One month earlier, he was denying Jesus and swearing at a teenage girl at a bonfire. And in 50 days, he goes to preaching Jesus to thousands of people in the same city, the same place, the same spot where he was denying Jesus a month and a half later is, is preaching Jesus to thousands. You think, what changed? That's the power. That's the difference of the Holy Spirit. And this is what I think is so beautiful, is oftentimes a filling of the Holy Spirit can even send us back to our greatest failures and redeem them and restore them. And God had a way of using the city of Jerusalem for Peter. Say, so even in the place that you denied me, I'm going to use it where thousands of people get saved. That's, that's not his ability. That's not his responsibility. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. I wonder what it is for your life. Thinking, God, how could you ever use me? Failure after failure, disobedience and bad decisions. We've all been there. But here's my encouragement for you today. Don't slip into the Saul syndrome. Don't even for a moment think that this is something that you can do by yourself. That's why we need the power, the presence, the person of the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh today. So I'm gonna to invite you to do to stand up with me and we're gonna end this service a bit different.
because we're just going to take the invitation to just just take God at his word. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus says this. He's teaching. He says, I'll tell you, it will be given to you. You will find, if you, if you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open for you. Jesus, he's not just talking about prayer. Verse 13 says this. It says, if you who are evil know how to give a good gift, how much more will the heavenly father give what? The Holy Spirit. He's not just saying how much more will the Holy, how much more will God the father give you everything that's on your prayer list? No, no, no. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Here's what we're going to do. I just take a moment to ask, to say, God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. As a church, to say, God, we need your Holy Spirit. So in this moment, just to say, we don't even need to wait. This is just a time where we can say, God, fill me with your Spirit. Just simply to ask Him, not to try and manufacture anything, not to try and have just some experience. Just say, God, I need your Holy Spirit. To ask with wide open expectations. Say, God, I don't, need, I don't want another performance. I don't want another service. I need the power and the presence of God. Here in this moment, I need the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.